The Bible is open this morning to the little epistle of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, if you would, this morning. If you don't know where 1 John is, it's near the back of your New Testament. If you've gone to Revelation, you've gone a bit too far, <clears throat> hang a left and come back. Or if you're finding 1 John uh, on your uh, smart device, then just open your app and punch 1 John and you got it made. Uh, today we continue in our series, Biographies of Bethlehem, where five sermons uh, into this series, or three sermons actually in a five-part series, uh, where we're looking at each of the major biographies of the players of the Christmas narratives. And we've looked so far, of course, at the most influential mother in the history of the world, which was Mary. And we've looked at an often overlooked father whose name was Joseph Lost in the shadow of the manger. Last week, if you were here, <clears throat> we looked at um, some surprising first witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ, which were, of course, the shepherds. And today we come to the central character of the Christmas narratives, and that is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. All throughout the years, and certainly at Christmas time, there is often confusion as to the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, who Jesus is and what Jesus has meant to the world. I'm sure if you go to the grocery store, to the bookstore, or to um, uh, a Target or a Walmart, you'll check out passing a magazine rack, and there at the magazine racks, you'll probably find a color glossy with some artist rendering of the personage of our Lord Jesus Christ on it. And there'll be an article in that magazine about Jesus, and it'll be the most left-leaning, slanted, totally hokey article about the life and real meaning of Jesus of Nazareth that you've ever read. Those articles are almost always slanted to support a particular position, and of course, they certainly do not tell the whole story. And that's what we need in terms of understanding Jesus. We need the whole story. If you've ever read or seen the movie To Kill a Mockingbird, you know there's a character in that movie named Boo Radley. And for most of the story, Boo Radley is a character in name only. We never see him. We don't know what he looks like. All we know are the caricatures that are painted about Boo, about how frightening a person that he is. We know that he lives just down the street from the Atticus Finches. We know that he occasionally leaves gifts for the Finch children in the knothole of a big oak tree, but we don't know much about him because he's mysterious. He's someone that's mostly misunderstood. And it's only at the end of the story or only at the end of the movie that the story is fully revealed about his identity. He's not a bad guy. Boo's a good guy. In fact, Boo becomes the hero of the whole story. And the same is true with Jesus of Nazareth. If you want the whole story, you don't pick up a Time or a Newsweek magazine. You certainly don't look at an expose of the New York Times or the Washington Post. If you want the whole story, I would suggest you consult somebody that was actually with Jesus Christ someone that actually knew him, somebody that was an eyewitness of his life and his death, an eyewitness to his resurrection, someone who actually took care of his mother after he died, someone who'd spent a lot of time with him and a lot of time writing about him, somebody like the Apostle John. 
who was a disciple of Christ, who was an intimate of Jesus Christ, a close personal friend of our living Lord. And the words that John writes to close this little letter that we call an epistle are important words for us to remember and to understand this Christmas week. My text this morning isn't a long Christmas narrative. It's one verse in the Bible that's power-packed with the understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus alone can accomplish. 1 John 5 and verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God, and he is eternal life. How about we say that verse together? You can just read it right off the screen. Let's do it together. Ready? Everybody together. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's just a powerful statement about the identity of Jesus, packs a lot in a small amount of space, and it's a statement that takes a lot of the mystery out of the true identity of our living Savior. And so what's so striking about that, as you often find in this little first letter of John, is the absolute certainty behind it. If you read all five chapters of 1 John, you'll see John using this little phrase over and over and over again. This is how we know. 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 He's writing about things that he has seen, things that he's observed, things that he has discussed with the primary source himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in writing the little letter of 1 John, as is the case with his longer gospel, the gospel of John, John is writing to us so that we can have absolute certainty and so that we can understand the absolute truth about the real identity of Jesus of Nazareth. He writes, for example, in 1 John 5, a little earlier, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And then he goes on to define how we know we have eternal life and it has everything to do with the person that he's writing about. So there's no room for doubt about who Jesus is, about what Jesus provides, and about what Jesus can give. In this verse, I want you to jot down three things. I'm gonna use one word each, all right, that John uses to describe the identity of Jesus. First of all, we come to understand that Jesus is Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel. Now that's kind of a $2 theological word, But I'm going to explain to you what that means and why it's important. If you take 1 John 5 and verse 20 and you link together John's first words together with his last words, here's the sentence that you get. You kind of take out part of the middle, just link the first together with the last, and here's what it says. And we know that the Son of God has come. He 
is the true God. We know the Son of God has come. He is the true God. So what John does there is he identifies without question the true identity of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. He's not like God. He's not a creation of God. The Bible teaches, of course, that Jesus is God, the one true God. He is, as is stated in other parts of the Bible, Emmanuel, which is a name or a title that means what? Who knows? God with us. Why aren't you doing the preaching today? That's what I want to know. You're such smart people. God with us. The angel of the Lord, of course, appeared to Joseph of Nazareth while he was sleeping, and he revealed through a dream that he should take Mary as his wife because she was carrying a child that was not his and was not the product of any other human father. She was carrying a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 1. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means, say it again, God with us. I don't know if you know it or not, but you should know it. Hillcrest Baptist Church is in the midst of a baby boom. And some of y'all just need to get on the bandwagon and get with it. I'm just going to leave that to set for a while. We want to grow the church through evangelism. I'm altogether open to growing the church from within as well. Somebody say amen. This past week, we had a mother give birth to twins. Somebody say amen. Just a couple of days ago, we had another small business owner couple at Hillcrest give birth to a baby. We have another mother over at our Spanish Trail campus who is great with child and is due like the first week of January, may come before the end of the year is out. The babies that have been born up to this point, how many have we had born this calendar year at Hillcrest? 44. 44 babies born in 2018 at hillcrestchurch.com. I'm trying to tell you, God's up to something good. Put your hands together and celebrate. That's just a little bit smaller than the average size church in the United States of America, for crying out loud. I'm very proud of that. So we're very, very thankful for what the Lord has done. All those babies unique, all of them special, all of them pretty. None of them look like Esau, who was about the ugliest baby in the Bible. They all pretty in their own way. But you know, as wonderful and different as those babies are, the most unique baby, there's never been a baby more unique, more special than the one born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Isn't that right? And what makes the baby Jesus so unique? He's God. He's God. He's God taking on human flesh, eternal, creator, sinless God in a human body. Theologians call that the incarnation of God. Incarnate means with flesh. You know chili con carne, right? Chili with meat, chili with flesh. And Christ incarnate is God with flesh, God in a body. And may I say this morning, you talk about miracles, that's the most, you know, think of all the miracles of the Bible. There is none more profound, none more mysterious, none more significant, none more important 
than the incarnation of God in a human body. When the angel visited Mary to inform her of what God was up to in her life and what God was up to in the world, he said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. But not just a Son of God, he is the Son of God. Jesus was not the son of Joseph. He was not the son of any earthly father. He was the son of God. Again, the unique son of God, the only begotten God, God the one and only, as one translation says. Jesus, who is the son of God, mark this down, is Jesus who is God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our triune God, represented in a way so that human eyes could see in the form of a person whose name was Jesus Christ. And this is why John starts his gospel in the most powerfully prophetic way among all of the biblical literature that he possibly could in the gospel of John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. That's a poetic term for Jesus Christ The word is a Greek concept, the organizing principle of the whole universe. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, separate yet one, with God and yet was God. He was with God in the beginning, John says, and apart from him, Nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So make no mistake, the child born in Bethlehem was not a human with some godlike qualities. He was Emmanuel. He was human, but not just any human. He was God in flesh, God with us. And by the way, let me emphasize again, this is what makes the virgin birth so critically important. In fact, this is what makes the virgin birth of Christ so indispensable to the entirety of our faith. Many people say, well, I believe Christ was different, but I I don't believe in the virgin birth. Well, with all due respect, that's a blatant inconsistency. Because if Christ wasn't virgin born, then he wasn't any different. You can't say, I believe Christ was different, but I don't believe he was born of a virgin. No, if he wasn't born of a virgin, he was no different than you. No different from me. He's carrying the same corrupt, uh, sinful DNA that all of us in the room were born with. No, no, that carries serious implications for all of us. For the cross to have any meaning, for the cross upon which Jesus died to have any meaning, the manger in which Jesus was born had to hold a different kind of baby. And if it didn't hold a different kind of baby, then the cross didn't hold a different kind of person. Jesus isn't born of a virgin. He's not the sinless son of God. And if he's not the unique sinless son of God, he's disqualified from bearing my sin on the cross. And if he can't die for my sin, then that means I'm still without a savior. 
And if I'm still without a Savior, that means I'm hopelessly lost, unforgiven, I have no fellowship with God, nor can I have hope for fellowship with God, nor can I have hope for eternal life. Adrian Rogers used to say, if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, we're just all going to hell. And he's right. He's right. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's why Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Everybody with me so far? Say amen. Jesus is Emmanuel. Secondly, notice that Jesus is truth. Truth. Notice again what our text says about Jesus. Verse 20, the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Has given us what? Has given us what? Understanding so that we may know him who is true. He is the true God. Here's the thing about the Apostle John. In his writings, no writer in the Bible connects this idea of Jesus and revelation more than John does. I mean, the revelation that Jesus is as God and the revelation that Jesus brings about the plan of God for sinful humanity. In other words, only in Jesus Christ can you or I or anybody else come to a true understanding of God. Now, God reveals himself in a lot of ways. Would you agree with me this morning that, uh, for example, God reveals himself in creation? Everybody agree with that today? But you can't understand God fully by looking at a bunch of rocks. I mean, you can kind of understand some things about God, but you can't really understand God by observing what God has done in creation. Some people believe that you can come to an understanding of God through philosophy, and some people look for God in philosophical arguments or in academics. But that will always, you know, lead you to kind of a barren place because you won't come to a full understanding of the truth or of God in philosophy or academics. Others turn to prayer or spiritism or some kind of transcendental meditation. They try to be spiritual, but yet they're spiritual, chasing spiritual stuff down all the wrong avenues. And so they end up with a void and with an emptiness. And that's because only in Christ can you find truth. Only in Christ can you come to a genuine understanding of God. Only in Christ can you come to real purpose, find purpose, find meaning, and find life everlasting. The Bible says in John 1:17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through whom? Jesus Christ. So this is why there's always this direct connection between Christ and the revelation of God. In fact, the beautiful illustrative principle is Christ and light. Light. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And John uses this concept of light more than anybody to describe Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, you should know that light is critical for sight. Can't see if you don't have light. How many of you have been to Mammoth Cave? or some kind of cave. I remember when I was a kid, I went into Mammoth Cave and they turned out the lights. I, I cannot describe the darkness. I mean, we talk about darkness. I, I didn't understand darkness until I went to Mammoth Cave. You could, you could put your palm on the tip of your nose and still not see it. It was that dark. We can't see without light, nor can anything live 
without light. The sun goes away, we're all on immediate alert. DEFCON 1, we're, we're in trouble because everything's getting ready to die. And this is a key reason that God came to earth in the form of Christ. He came to reveal himself in human form because by coming in human form, what was he doing? He was shining this big light in a way that helps humanity to understand who God is and what God is up to. A couple of months ago, Judy and I were in Nashville um, attending a family funeral. And on our night, uh, last night there, I found out a couple of days before we were coming back that downtown at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, uh, Phantom of the Opera was coming into town, the Broadway play. And Friday night, which was our last night in Nashville, was opening night. And so being the awesome husband that I am, uh, <clears throat> I got online and I ordered two tickets. Right down, lower balcony, right in the middle, perfect view of the stage, see everything on the stage. I was husband of, I became husband of the year with that very simple action. And I took her downtown, we went to see Phantom of the Opera, went into the theater. And I don't know, five, 10 minutes before, all the lights kind of went down and, and very dimly lit. We were sitting in a dark theater and the stage had this heavy curtain and it was all the way down to the floor. And we couldn't hardly see a thing. And so we just sat there in the darkness and kind of had to imagine what it was gonna be like. And I could kind of imagine in my mind, I'd heard a little bit of the score and I'd seen a few scenes here and there along the way. And I kind of knew what was gonna happen. But then when the appointed time finally arrived, there was a crescendo of music and the curtain, the veil, rose to the ceiling, revealing the stage, and lights came on, revealing this cavalcade of color and movement and pageantry, and everything in a nanosecond became incredibly clear. But it took the light shining for us to get a full comprehension of what was behind the curtain. And now, so it is with our understanding of God. Creation gives us a glimpse of God. Intellect gives us a glimpse of the power of God. Conscience gives us a bit about right and wrong that comes from God, but it's not full understanding. We don't fully grasp who God is, and we can't fully understand his plan and can't fully understand what his kingdom is like. We have a longing for God that's built into us, and we have a longing for that place. But because sin has corrupted us and because we've become broken by sin and because the world has become broken by sin, we see, as the Bible says, through a glass darkly. In other words, it's like looking through a, a, not a transparent glass, but a translucent glass. You kind of have some vague images, but they're fuzzy and they're, they're not really clear. But thanks be to God who's lifted the curtain. Can I have an amen? Who's lifted the curtain and shined the light so that anybody that looks to him through the eyes of faith can personally know and fellowship with the creator God of the universe, the most magnificent thing imaginable, the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Mark it down, only by knowing Jesus 
can you know the truth? And Jesus said, you can know it. You can know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. So if you got who Jesus is to this point, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is truth. God revealed to us. And then finally, Jesus is Savior. And as Savior, Jesus is God's life in us. I don't have to tell you Christmas, we've reduced Christmas down. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the whole year. But it, it, it absolutely drives me crazier than any other time of the year as well. Uh, and so there's a tension associated with Christmas because of what we've turned it into. I mean, we've reduced it to flashiness and a hectic lifestyle. I'm pretty sure that our Lord didn't intend for us to be anywhere near this busy at Christmas time. We've reduced it down to the giving of gifts. But you know, at this time where gifts are emphasized so much, it's almost like we have to come together to be reminded every year of something that we should already know, and that is the greatest gift of all was the gift of salvation that God gave by sending his son. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Or as John uses the term here, the gift of eternal life. That's the greatest gift of all. Notice again how John concludes this verse. And we are in him who is true. So not only can we know the truth, we can actually be consumed by the truth, in the truth, and the truth residing in us. We are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and what? Eternal life. Now, here's the reality. In this room today, chock full of people, some of us know Jesus as Savior and some of us don't. That's just the bare facts. In a room this size, this many people, there are people here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So there are some of us here who possess the gift of eternal life and then there are some of us who don't possess the gift of eternal life. And obviously, that creates kind of a conundrum because you're looking around saying, well, I'm breathing just like everybody. No, I don't know Jesus, but I'm breathing just like everybody else. So obviously, I'm alive. Well, we're all alive today. We're all alive. We're all breathing. But did you know that you can be alive physically and still not have life? Did you know it's possible to be alive and dead at the same time? And some people are, most people are walking dead. They're alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. Dead to God, dead to eternity, dead to his kingdom. There's an incompleteness because you're separated from the Lord. And that's because only Christ in you, John says, can give you what the Bible calls life. Both eternal life in the age to come and then abundant life. I mean, you're talking about real life lived today on planet earth as it's meant to be lived. The only place to find that is Jesus Christ. You cannot find it in Seville Square. You can't find it on Bourbon Street. You can't find it on Broadway. You can't find it on Savile Row. You can't find it in Piccadilly Square. 
You can only find it on the narrow road that leads to life. A narrow road created by the coming of Jesus Christ. Abundant life. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Most of the time we read that and we think, oh, he's talking about the devil. No, he's talking about false teachers. He's talking about false claims about how to find life. Those people that tell you, you can find life here and you can find real life here and you can find real life over here and you can find real life by going over there. Those are thieves and robbers, hirelings, Jesus said, not true shepherds. And they come to lead you down a false path that's a broad road, Jesus taught in Matthew 7, that leads to destruction. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have what? Life. And have it more what? Abundantly. Full. Free. Overflowing. Maximal life eternal life. And that's why just, can I just say this? That's why it's ridiculous to think that coming to Jesus is going to keep you from really living. How many of you have known people who have said, well, you know, that's just, Jesus is just a cosmic killjoy. You can't live by walking a narrow path. That's the most ridiculous statement. And the devil has just blinded people to believe that. There's, can I just say it? There is no life apart from Jesus Christ, none. There's only death apart from Jesus Christ. That's why Christmas is a really big deal. Not for what you get, not for what's stacked up under the tree or what's bulging out of the top of your stocking. Christmas is important because of not only who Jesus is, but because of what Jesus brings. There is no life apart from Jesus Christ. Notice what John says just a few verses earlier here in 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now look at me. Is there any way to misunderstand that statement? Is there any way to make it any more simple or any more plain? Whoever has the Son of God has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Important question. Do you possess God's gift of eternal life this Christmas? These things I've written to you, John says, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know it? Don't not be any fuzziness about it. You can know with absolute clarity and absolute certainty that you possess God's greatest gift, the gift for which Jesus was born, the gift for which Jesus died to provide you. You can know that you have the gift of eternal life, the greatest kind of life imaginable. Do you want that? Do you want to live forever in a place that God has prepared, the most awesome kind of life? You can, but here's what you have to remember. It only comes as a gift. It's not something that you can earn, which is the biggest demonic delusion of all. 
Because most people that you would run into on the street, if you ask them, are you going to heaven when you die? Most of them would probably say, yeah. And then you ask them why. And what are they going to say? Because I'm a, because I'm a good person. What do you do with the statement in the Bible that says there is none that does good, not even one? Now, the bottom line is we're not good people. We're corrupted people who occasionally do good things, but that doesn't make us intrinsically good. No, salvation doesn't come by what you can achieve through your goodness because you'll always fall short. It comes only as a gift. And what a tragedy that so many people are giving this thing called eternal life their best shot. Giving it my best shot, preacher. But it's not what you offer Christ that counts. I've often said if it were dependent, are y'all still with me? Say amen. Amen. If it were dependent upon what you did for Christ in order to qualify to go to heaven, I'm pretty sure heaven wouldn't be a place worth going to. Because the first thing we'd all be doing when we got there is bragging about what we did to get there. We'd all be trying to outdo each other. Here's what I did. Here's what God saw in me. Here's what God found in me. No. The only boasting that will be going on in the eternal kingdom of God is bragging about what Jesus did to get any of us there. This is why Paul said, may I boast in nothing except the cross of Christ. Because he's the one that's done the work. It's not what you offer Christ that counts. It's what Christ offers you. For God so loved the world. Can we say that together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's just the most humbling and yet the most necessary thing that you'll ever hear, that your best is not good enough to earn eternal life or a place in heaven. A couple of years after Judy and I were married, we built our first house just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, 25 years old at the time. Seems like 100 years ago. Little bitty cracker box house, but we were so proud of it. And we came to our first Christmas in that house. And boy, we wanted to doll it up. We wanted to put on the dog and do it right. And I said, baby, we're, we're going to cut down our own Christmas tree this year. Big Jim's going to do it. And she looked at me and she said, with what? I said, I don't know. I'm going to borrow somebody's tool, but we're going to do it. So we went down to Gladeville, Tennessee, to a tree lot. And we walked through that lot, and I had a little hacksaw in my hand. We went up and down, and then we turned a corner. And you know what happened. There was a tree that was glowing with a gold halo around it. I mean, it was the one, perfectly symmetrical, perfect size. It's like God had drawn this beautiful halo around it and said, this one, Jimmy, is the right one. And I looked at her and she looked at me and she said, oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. And I said, it's done. I don't care even how much it costs. And I looked at God and said, how much is this tree? (laughs) And it was okay. It was a little higher than what I wanted. He said, well, for that one, okay. Well, all right. So I got down and I cut that thing down, sawed it all the way down. As athletic as I am, it only took about three and a half strokes and it was down. And then drug it back. We managed to get it on top of the car, tied it down, drove it home. When we went to put it up in the stand, it wanted to teeter a little bit. And 
I felt like that it was because I had not cut it straight across the bottom, but we rigged it and we finally got it stand up straight. And then we began to decorate it. That night I had a meeting down at the church and I said, honey, can't this wait until when I get back? And she said, no, I've got an early start tomorrow. And I said, well, how about we'll just, we'll decorate it tomorrow. Now I want to start it tonight. Has to be done right now. And I said, well, I've got to go to this meeting and I'm, it's probably going to be three hours. And so we, I went and I said, well, I'll help when I get back. But when I came back, I mean, that tree was just glorious. It was sparkling. The lights were on it, the, 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 the bulbs and the beautiful decorations and all the ornaments and the tinsel. It was just beautiful. And I gave her a big hug and had my arm around her and we just stood there and just looked at that tree. The lights were low in the house and the white lights on the tree. And as we were standing there together looking at that tree, I said, honey, you did such a great job. And I no more got that out of my mouth and that tree just went over and fell. (laughs) And Judy screamed when it happened. I mean, I tried to get to it. I couldn't get to it. I couldn't stop it. We were too far away from the tree as we were observing it. And I mean, it went down with a crash and those ornaments and tinsel and angels went flying everywhere. And in tears in her eyes, she looked at me and she said, I am going to bed. (laughs) And she stormed off and went to bed, leaving me to deal with this tree. After a three-hour deacon meeting at church, and I thought, oh, Lord, it started out so heavenly. What happened? So, of course, I, I get the tree back up and trying to figure out what is the deal here. And I was down, and I was looking at it, and I realized what the problem was, something we never saw because that tree was perfectly symmetrical. But the trunk of the tree was shaped like the letter S. That tree was born with scoliosis of the trunk. (laughs) It went like this, and as it got to the bottom, the trunk literally did that. I'm not making that up. I mean, dramatically so, in a way that the branches hid. You couldn't tell. It looked so good from the outside and from a distance. But boy, when you kind of went and looked close, underneath, it was deformed. It was not the perfect tree. Looks were deceiving. There was a major flaw that corrupted the whole thing. And that's you. It's me. Your best efforts to clean yourself up in order to get God to accept you and overlook the faults that you know you have will always come up short. And in the end, if you rely on your very best, your life will do nothing at the judgment but topple over. That's the whole point of why Jesus came. If it were about your goodness, why the manger? Why the cross? Why is there a need for a Savior to even be born? I'm just saying, Jesus came for a reason. Despite your best appearances, there's a flaw underneath that keeps you from God's best. And the Bible calls it sin. But the Savior came to take care of that problem. 
That's why he was born. The son of man came into this world, Paul says, to save sinners. And it's why he died on the cross. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the free gift of God. That's why Jesus came. And it's why we celebrate his birth. Because he wants to give you a gift. He wants to give you a gift that money cannot buy. He wants to give you a gift that Amazon.com does not sell. He wants to give you a gift that your best efforts cannot earn, that your best work cannot achieve. It's the gift of life now, abundantly, and forever, eternally, and it can be yours. If you simply believe, trust Jesus as Savior, and confess Jesus as Lord. Now I think we're ready to really read the verse again with eyes wide open. It's 1 John 5.20, and let's just say it one more time out loud together. Ready? Together. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. We're in him if we trust him to do what he alone can do, save us forever from our sins and grant unto us the gift of eternal life. This is God's word. Let all who agree say amen this morning.